Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Monday, March 29th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper from huntersportspicks.com. We'll talk about the Elite Eight matchups. We'll project some numbers out for the Final Four and just give you some of our overall tournament thoughts here as things are winding down in Indianapolis. Over at ATS.io, we'll have a preview for you of the Valero Texas Open later on today. The last tune-up event prior to the Masters, which is next week at Augusta National. Very much looking forward to that major. But we got to get through this event first here this week. My 2021 MLB betting guide has been available for well over a month. Major League Baseball season starts on Thursday. My daily article will start on Thursday as well. So make sure you look for that over at ATS.io. Lots of great stuff. Picks and predictions across the board from our very talented cast of writers over there. Give you some food for thought across college basketball, NBA, NHL, and all of the stuff that's going on. Just realized I have not yet updated the situational articles for this week. I will do that right after the show as I'm going through the editing process here. That's for the NBA and the NHL, so be on the lookout for that. Finally, as you know, download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. Full article integration from the website, a bet tracker, an odd screen, a stats database, Lots of things to help you with your handicapping, with your bookkeeping, and all of that. So make sure you download that ATS app today. It's, per- it's perfect whether you have an Android or an iOS device. So go find that in whichever store you download your apps. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. And Kyle, how's it going today, man? Going pretty well. How about yourself, Adam? Doing well, buddy. Appreciate your time as always here, sir. And, uh, College basketball season very much winding down. I know you're a college basketball guy at heart, but I assume you're starting to get excited about the baseball season on Thursday, right? Yeah, you know, especially because it brings the nice weather with it, right? You know, it's it's been a fairly cold winter here, and I'm just looking forward to being able to get out and about a little bit more. And actually, you know, college basketball being over gives me a little bit of a break, at least compared to what it's been. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to baseball season, and uh, I'm looking forward to when things are a little bit more normalized here and it's a little bit easier to catch a game at the park you know I, I like baseball quite a bit especially like getting to see it in person well you know of course we've had some decent weather here of late it hasn't been too too bad yeah. and then 69 degrees tomorrow which is nice and then of course on thursday for opening day it's gonna snow fortunately the indians not at home they're playing up in detroit where it'll be cold anyway but you know it just <laughs> Kind of always happens that way. A few days before the home opener or opening day, really nice. And then you get to opening day and the weather's shitty and, you know, your team gets postponed or they're playing in bad weather or, or something like that. So uh, I, I agree and I echo those sentiments about the nice weather because, man, it's, it's been nice to see the sun a little bit more here lately. Yeah, it has. It's uh, nice to see the sun out and uh, it, it makes it a little bit easier each day. You know, those dreary, long days not being able to get out at all can get pretty old around here and it'll be nice to to hear the the crack of the bat and and some uh baseball going on so yeah uh, i'm looking forward to it and uh, we wind down here hopefully we can get some good basketball games to finish the season as well yeah that would be nice looking forward to the elite eight matchups tonight oregon state houston arkansas baylor and then on tuesday usc gonzaga and also ucla and michigan and, and i think the the operative word there is good in front of games because look, obviously it's better to have any tournament as opposed to what we had last year, 
But just in general, this has not been a great NCAA tournament. A lot of lopsided games, a lot of really terrible shooting performances. And of course, now, you know, we get to this Elite Eight and nothing against the the Pac-12, but you've got a 12-seed Oregon State that's just gotten hot at the right time over the last three weeks or so. You've got an 11-seed in UCLA that had a pretty easy path and then found a way to outlast Alabama last night. Just... Not the Sweet 16 games we really wanted to see. Only, you know, what, three of them were really all that close, all that competitive. Just, it hasn't been the greatest of tournaments. You certainly don't want to take it for granted after last year. But, you know, I I hope we get a better product next year. Yeah, it's it's not been the best tournament ever. Like you said, it is nice to have a tournament. So I don't want to say too much negative uh, based on what we had last year. I certainly missed that, but... Uh, there's been some really random results here and in, in the Pac-12 getting three of the last eight teams in. Uh, I kind of sound like a Pac-12 hater when I say that you know, the Pac-12 certainly is not good enough conference that they should have three of the last eight teams in it. I don't really hate the Pac-12. There's nothing uh, personal about that. You know, it's just that, you know, Oregon State and UCLA, especially teams that feel like they really don't have the upside that they've shown here. Uh, I think USC does have quite a bit of talent and uh, is a tricky matchup. But, you know, this uh, we've talked about it before, Adam. There's so much randomness to this tournament that, you know, if if they ran this back and did it again, you know, there could be some very different results uh, going through the exact same game. So, I mean, it's it's one of the reasons we like the NCAA tournament, but we do have to keep in mind that it is pretty random. Certainly it is. And, you know, look, I mean, like you said, this isn't hatred of the Pac-12 by any means or anything like that. It's just. You know, people that have listened to the show throughout the season know how much we look at and refer to the metrics. Haslam metrics, Bart Torvik, everybody in the business uses Ken Palm. I know you've taken a much greater interest this year in shotquality.com, uh, and they do some really interesting work there. And I know you did a podcast uh, with Kiev O'Neill, who joins me on Wednesdays, and uh, then also the guy from Shot Quality uh, late last week. You know, it, it's just we look at a lot of the metrics. We look at a lot of the stats because – those are the things that are in front of us. And, and both of us are predominantly numbers guys in college basketball. And the fact simply is that a lot of Pac-12 teams just didn't really have the metrics, didn't really stack up to a lot of these other conferences. And it kind of brings me to a question, and I want to get your thoughts on this, of, you know, we look at adjusted metrics. And, you know, they're very heavily based on strength of schedule. So, you know, basically every team but two in the Big Ten – ranked in the top 40, the top 45, something like that. Does what we've seen here in the NCAA tournament give you pause going into next season about, you know, weighing heavily on those adjusted types of metrics where strength of schedule is is so important? Well, that's certainly a really good question because, you know, if you're wrong about a conference or if you're wrong about a conference's strength of schedule, those adjusted metrics can be very skewed. Because, uh, you know, if if the Big Ten wasn't as good as they looked or the ACC wasn't as good as some people thought or the Pac-12 is better, then those numbers are going to be skewed. So I think um, it gives a good argument for looking at adjusted metrics and also non-adjusted metrics because, I mean, obviously we can find – you know, a lot of those numbers that are not adjusted. It's just that, you know, the sites like Ken Palm and Bart Torvik and ones like that are going to adjust them uh, by what the assumed strength of schedule is. 
Uh, in this case, it does feel like some of the conferences were a little bit overrated. You know, the Big Ten has not played well, certainly. The Pac-12 has been better than expected. So it does give me a little bit of pause. I will say, though, I'm, I'm not ready to just throw it out all out. I, mean, I just think that just because of this NCAA tournament, we shouldn't look at the adjusted metrics. I do think overall the adjusted metrics are still really helpful. And uh, it's in general, they get it right more than they get it wrong. But it hasn't been a great uh, postseason for looking at adjusted metrics because of so many of those random games. So I think it gives you a reason to think that you might want to consider some of both rather than just looking at adjusted metrics. But like I said, I do think that, uh, you know, in the long run, those will those will be pretty good sources to look at still. And, and the reason I bring that up is because, you know, you talked about the variance level of this tournament and it is one and done. I mean, you have a bad, really bad shooting performance it doesn't matter what you did over your previous 25, 26, 28, 30 games. It doesn't matter. You have that one bad performance at the worst possible time, and we've seen the outcome. We've seen what has happened to some of these teams in this tournament and also in previous tournaments. And that's something, too, is that – and I don't know if this is just recency bias in my mind, and, and maybe you have a different take on this, but like we talked about, there have been a lot of horrible shooting performances in this tournament, whether it's at the free throw line or from beyond the arc, a lot of really bad shooting performances. And when you get those, it makes those double digit seeds live. It gives them a chance because the good teams aren't really creating a whole lot of margin in those situations. We think about Abilene Christian beating Texas, for example, Abilene Christian overcame a really horrific shooting performance because Texas was actually worse than they were in a lot of areas in that game. So I think that's part of it too, is that we've had almost a, you know, a below mean shooting tournament here overall. And I don't know if it's been Indianapolis. I don't know if it's been the venues. I don't know what exactly it is, but I also don't know how much stock I want to put into that. If this tournament gets back to normal next year with games all over the country, you know, uh, the hidden home court advantages and all of that. It just feels like this tournament kind of stands alone as one where it's just been awful for shooting. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, the lack of fans in a big venue could certainly be helping the under. We've talked about that before when you get in these bigger gyms, especially for conference tournaments, and there's not very many people in the seats. It can help the under. So I think that has something to do with it. I will say that I'm kind of surprised if you think about it, um, in theory, it should probably help the favorites that there's not a big amount of fans there because, you know, um, the, the fans usually cheer for the underdogs. You know, if there's three teams uh, in, a, in a pod there, the one team that's a favorite, you know, any team that's an underdog there are gonna, is going to get cheered for versus the team that's a favorite in general. So you wouldn't really think that the underdogs would be helped by it, but we've seen some massive upsets and and uh, maybe this is something also to think about for future, and maybe it's just this year, but I, I like to look, go back and look and see if this has been true in the past. It feels to me like a lot of these underdogs that have been covering have also won on the money line uh, at pretty big prices. I figure if you've been taking the money line here uh, on decent sized underdogs, you've done really well in this NCAA tournament. I don't know if that's the case in the long run, and I don't know if there's some sort of randomness based on it being a you know, a weird COVID season or not, but, you know, there was a smaller sample size for a lot of these teams too. So I think you could argue that that has something to do with it. As far as the totals, I would expect that things would kind of revert a bit back to normal next year. Uh, 
considering hopefully everything is, is back to normal as far as fans and everything. But uh, there's been some really bad shooting performances, like you've said. Uh, the tempo has been pretty similar to what it's been in the past. It's mainly just been shooting numbers. I assume most of that has to do with the venues and, and the lack of fans. Yeah, it'd definitely be really interesting to see because, look, I mean, every NCAA tournament is is its own animal. You know, I mean, it, this is a higher variance environment with the one and done, the bracket style format and all of that. You know, you could have the best team on the planet, like a Gonzaga team, and if they have their worst performance at the worst possible time, they will not advance. And it doesn't say anything negative about Gonzaga. It simply says that, you know, every team will have its best performance and its worst performance. And if you get one or the other in this tournament, then it has a significant impact on how things kind of play out here. So, you know, we'll see what happens going forward. And we'll see what happens with the remaining games that we have here. And we start with Monday night's game. The first one on the board, 7-15 tip-off, Oregon State and Houston. Houston's seven-and-a-half-point favorite, total 129 for this game. And, you know, again, like you said, it, it sounds like we hate Oregon State and we hate the Pac-12. That's not the case. It's just quite simply that, you know, these teams are spitting in the face of, you know, either uh, Lady Luck, you know, and it's, everything is kind of going their way, or they've just been the benefactor of, of the opposition just not performing well. Yeah, you know, for in this one, I'll say the percentages as we go through these as well. 51% of the bets on Oregon State and 55% of the money on Oregon State here. I will say is that there's a lot of betting action going on in these games. Not surprising since there's not very many games. So uh, very heavily bet uh, for these contests here in the Elite Eight. Um, you referenced earlier shot quality in the website. I, I think that that website's doing a great job. I do recommend people check out the site shot quality uh, next year, I think that that site will probably be a bigger name than what it has been this year. Uh, Simon's doing a really good job with that site. But if you look at shot quality, and this isn't all publicly available, you know, you have to, to pay. So uh, I'm just going to reference this a bit. Um, looking at the numbers myself right now, seven of their last eight games, Oregon State should have lost according to the quality of shots they get versus the quality of shots their opponent gets. Uh, the one game that they should have won was the game against UCLA that went into overtime in the Pac-12 tournament. The rest of them, they should have lost. If you go back to the Loyola-Chicago game, Loyola lost by seven, and um, it was 76-59, according to shot quality, for what the expected score should have been in Loyola's favor, 17 points. They give Loyola a 92% chance of winning that game based on the quality of shots taken. And I will say, as somebody who watched that entire game with lots of interest, I was clearly rooting for Loyola based on my future. Um, Oregon State grabbing the lead pretty quickly and having a lead really made it tough for me to, to hedge out of that. Um, Oregon State gave up a ton of wide open shots to Loyola. Loyola missed some very easy shots in that game. I know Oregon State's defense looks pretty good, and I'm not saying they're a bad defense, but they have really been very fortunate. Opponents shooting 22% from three-point range against them in the tournament. Um, there's been a lot of wide-open looks. Uh, Oklahoma State went 5-for-16 on layups, and uh, I believe 5-for-20 on threes or something like that. And then Loyola just cannot throw anything in on threes. I think Oregon State is clearly a better team than they were earlier this year, but I don't think they're as good as they look right now. Um, Oregon State, the key is Ethan Thompson. You know, he, he is certainly the big key to this offense. I think Samson's a really good defensive coach. I think he's probably underrated, especially as a defensive mind. 
I would imagine they'll try to make someone else beat them, you know, because Ethan Thompson is clearly the best player for Oregon State by a large margin. Uh, I think Grimes is the key to this bet for Houston. I think he's going to get his open looks from three. The guy shot about, I think, 41% from three on the season. You know, he's a volume shooter from three-point range as well. The best shooter Oregon has, I think he'll get his looks in this one. Um, The question is, too, can uh, Oregon State hold their own on the glass? Because Houston is really good on the offensive glass, second in the country. Um, Also, Oregon State's defense inside five feet is 33rd percentile in the country. Uh, Houston is 96th percentile in the country inside five feet. So they're really good at at getting those putbacks and, and going ahead and putting them in and low post scoring. And Oregon State has not been good defending that. I think Houston will get some easy second chance points in a game like this. This regression is going to come at some point for Oregon State. They can't keep doing this. Uh, you know, maybe they do in this game. If they do in this game, uh, you know, I probably want to bet against them in the next game. Uh, I don't think that Oregon State is capable of just continuing this time after time. If you look at the shot quality site, too, not very many teams are able to to lose games according to shot quality's expected result and then just win game after game after game that way. And Oregon State's been able to do it. So at some point, this is going to run out. And I want to be going against them when it does. Now, I haven't been betting against them blindly uh, through this tournament, but I do like Houston in this game tonight. I think Houston wins this game, likely covers this game as well. I also think there's some chance of a blowout here. You know, uh, Oregon State is is bound to kind of fall apart at some point. Uh, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Houston wins this game by 20 points or something. I'm not saying they will, but, you know, Oregon State is not this good. And Houston is clearly a high-end team on defense, uh, sixth according to Ken Palm in defensive efficiency, really good on the offensive glass. Oregon State, uh, they, they've been very good. They've had some really big three-point luck. And Adam, as you know, the, the Pac-12 in general has had tremendous three-point luck, you know, how they're making all, all their threes and not giving up hardly any threes. I think that speaks to the randomness of this tournament as well. When you look at that box score from the game between Oregon State and Loyola Chicago, Loyola Chicago 12 for 24 at the rim in that game. So obviously that's 50%. On close twos, according to Bart Torvik for the season, 66.2% for the year. So they were well below their season average. And that's basically what shot quality is talking about here. That's at shot underscore quality on Twitter, where you know Oregon State has kind of had this run for three games in a row. And as you said, kind of extending it out to the Pac-12 Conference Tournament as well, where teams have just missed open shots against them, and it happens. And teams are getting, you know, quality looks, as Loyola Chicago did, just didn't make enough of them. Houston gets a lot of quality shots themselves. They are a 65% team at the rim. Uh, Grimes is really far and away their best three-point shooter. So, as you said, that's a guy that's definitely going to be very, very important for them. Houston, also a great defensive team, as we know. And... Look, the thing about regression analysis, and I do a lot of this from a baseball standpoint, looking at the advanced metrics relative to pitcher ERAs and all of that, you know it's coming, you don't know when. And and that's the problem, is that if you get a team that's hot or you keep fading this pitcher who just keeps going, maybe his offense scores 10 runs for him in the next game, eight in the game after that, something like that, you can lose a lot of money. You can dig yourself a big hole with this regression analysis handicapping. But again, at some point, you know it's coming and you don't want it to be that next game to where you go, 
well, shit, I knew that was coming and I didn't play it. You know, it's just, it's just kind of the mindset, the mentality that all of us have, especially when you are pretty deep into the metrics. So yeah, regression is coming for Oregon state. Does it come here in a game where we've got, you know, a three possession favorite with a low total? That's the thing that kind of gives me some pause here about this one. But I do think that, you know, Houston is a very solid team. They will get their second chance points. They will get high percentage looks off of those second chances. And they're a great defensive team, which, you know, I mean, Loyola Chicago was a great defensive team and they really by and large kind of held Oregon state down a little bit. They just weren't able to score enough themselves. So it's hard to go against Oregon state based on the run that they're on. But I, I think that really that's the only way I could look at that game tonight. Yeah, and as far as the total, let me say that, you know, it's hard to take an under at 129. Um, this game's played at Lucas Oil Stadium, as, as the others are going to be as well. Uh, I don't think that I can take under 129. There's certainly a case to be made that this could be a really low-scoring game. I don't think it'll be a high-scoring game. Both teams play a slow tempo. Um, you know, Oregon State has been pretty good defensively lately. Uh, the zone, they've been playing a lot. And I think that's something I probably should have said a minute ago too, is that Houston just saw a zone defense last game in Syracuse. Now they're going to play Oregon state playing a lot of zone again. I think that helps them. Also Houston saw a lot of zone from Tulsa and Tulane teams like that in their conference. So it's not a team that's, uh, you know, going to be confused when the zone, when the zone shows up because they've seen it so many times already. So I think that helps them a decent amount. The total um, I can't bet this total. Uh, I think this is about right. I have this one at 130. I don't want to bet the over. Uh, so I'm going to stay away from this total, but I do like Houston in this one. I, you know, I, I think something here, if, if you're going to play unders in the Elite Eight, and I mean, we saw, you know, a lot of poor shooting, especially, you know, early on in the Sweet 16, where I think unders started off 6-0. and oh, I, I would recommend the first half under because you will get those foul fests at the end of the game. I mean, there, there is no tomorrow, just like every other game in this tournament, but you know, teams may start falling earlier. We saw Alabama, you know, or we saw it, not Alabama. Um, somebody was falling very early, you know, in, in the second half of a game here in the Sweet 16. Those things happen, you know, where, where teams just try to extend the game as much as they possibly can. And, you know, those are things one point at a time that'll take a good looking under into an over. So if you think it's a lower scoring game, it will probably be low scoring in the first half. So, you know, maybe that's the route you may want to end up going here. Arkansas and Baylor is the second of the Elite Eight games on Monday night. Baylor laying eight, 148 and a half the total. This one is coming down, though. I see a 148 out there in the global markets. So, you know, Baylor getting into a bigger favorite role, total coming down a little bit. What does that say to you? Well, first of all, you know, um, I'm kind of bummed that the the last two games went like they did because I want to bet Baylor in this game. Uh, It's just you know, this line is not what I was hoping for. You know, Baylor had such a good second half against Villanova. I did bet Baylor live in that game and was able to make something out of it, even though I had the over and lost in that game. Villanova played that game to a snail's pace. You know, you have to give Jay Wright credit for giving his team as good a chance as they did. They had a really good game plan. It worked for as much of the game as they possibly could have. A team that was severely undermanned against Baylor in that one. Jay Wright's uh, clearly one of the best coaches in the country. Here here in this one, Arkansas and Baylor, 56% of the bets are on Arkansas and 78% of the money is on Baylor. Clearly some sharps on Baylor in this one. I don't disagree with them. Like I said uh, to you, Adam, before we started recording, 
I really wish Baylor hadn't pulled away so much and Arkansas hadn't looked so bad against Oral Roberts because I feel like this line could have been something like minus five and a half instead of minus seven and a half or eight. Uh, certainly would rather lay two possessions than I would, you know, up to eight points or something. But I don't think Arkansas can continue this uh, first half trend of playing so poorly and coming back and winning against a team like Baylor. Arkansas is two and seven. Uh, in their last nine against the spread in the first half. And most of those have not been even close. I mean, they have been really bad in the first half. Um, you want to lay it in the first half with a team like Baylor here? I haven't looked at the the line here for the first half. I think it's probably, what, four or four and a half. Okay, so it's Baylor minus four in the first half. I certainly do lean Baylor minus four in the first half, and I think I like that even better than the full game bet. So um, I lean Baylor for for the game. I like Baylor in the first half a little bit better, but a team like Arkansas has been coming back in all these games. And I know some people have been betting them live and have had a lot of success with uh, betting Arkansas. I would caution people from betting Arkansas if they're down in this one to expect them to come back because I think Baylor's a different animal than, you know, Colgate and Oral Roberts and even Texas Tech. Texas Tech had uh, plenty of deficiencies this year. Baylor's a very, uh, a very good team all around. And, and I will say Baylor's looked a lot better on defense in this tournament than they did to end the regular season. feels like they might be back defensively where they kind of slacked off at the end of the year after that COVID pause. So uh, th- who wins the battle on the glass and in the paint in this one is the key to me. Baylor's outscoring opponents by 5.1 points per game on second chance points. Arkansas is also really good here. 3.3 points per game better on second chance points than their opposition. One thing, Adam, that really stood out to me when I was looking at this game here late last night, uh, getting ready for the show. Uh, and, you know, this is this is one where Arkansas transition-wise is very good on offense, but their transition defense is the ninth percentile in the country. The reason for that is Arkansas is sending their guards after the offensive glass like crazy. They're tall. They can get offensive rebounds, second chances. But when you're that aggressive, on the offensive glass with your point guard and your shooting guard, the other team has a chance for a run out. Um, I kind of leaned to the under in this game before I looked at the transition numbers for both teams. And then I saw how good both teams were in transition and how uh, mediocre both teams are in transition defense. Baylor's only 52nd percentile in transition defense and Arkansas's 92nd percentile on offense. Uh, Baylor's offense is in the 94th percentile in transition offense and Arkansas is ninth percentile in defense. So I think Baylor is fine with running here. They should, I don't know why they wouldn't run because they should get chances to score quickly. Uh, So I think the pace could be really quick in this game. I don't think Baylor wants to slow it down. Like, you know, against some opponents, maybe they'd want to slow the game down, but against Arkansas, I think they can win that way. Uh, I think laying it in the first half here makes some sense. Arkansas is really a poor outside shooting team. If they're settling for threes and looking to get into a three-point contest with Baylor, they're going to lose. Uh, Arkansas really needs to get inside and, and get those second-chance points and get inside the paint. So I think the real key in this game is watching how the teams do in transition and who controls the boards and in, inside the paint because both of them have been strong at that in the past. I lean Baylor here. Initially, I would have leaned the under, but this one is under my number. It's at Lucas Oil Stadium, so I don't really want to bet an over, but I think if I had to, I'd probably bet the over here based on those transition defense numbers. Yeah, I think Baylor first half is a good look. I think Baylor full game isn't that bad of a price either because they should be playing from in front for for most of this game. Now, maybe Arkansas does 
find a way to get back into it as they've done here in a lot of their second halves like we just talked about. The thing of it is, is, you know, I sort of look at Arkansas's body of work here, and, and you don't want to make, you know, sweeping generalizations about three games, but even in the SEC tournament, they didn't play very well offensively. They didn't, weren't, they were okay defensively. They shut down Missouri. They struggled with LSU, but their three-point defense has really not been very good here at the tail end of the season. And Baylor loves to make their threes. They're second in the nation in three-point percentage. If they're getting threes and Arkansas is getting twos, and that's certainly the game plan that Arkansas would like to have is to be inside the arc getting their two-point shots, then Baylor has a chance to widen the gap in this game. And, and also, too, if Baylor's turnover percentage lives up to its billing, 24.8% on defense, Texas Tech had a really high one, too, but Arkansas took great care of the basketball in that game. And they still only won that game by two points because Texas Tech was 50% from three. So if Baylor is able to force those turnovers that Texas Tech wasn't, this could be a game that kind of gets out of hand a little bit. And the big question that I have in this one, honestly, is Scott Drew. You know, Scott Drew has struggled in this Elite Eight round, has struggled in the Sweet 16 in the past. Like you said, they were just kind of able to out-muscle and, and out-physical Villanova, kind of a shorthanded Villanova team. But Scott Drew, you know, he's had good teams, maybe not as good as this one, but he's struggled at this point in the tournament. So do things go differently for him here? Is this a spot where he does pick up on the things that you just talked about, about trying to beat Arkansas in transition, about, you know, maybe being a little more aggressive on defense to take advantage of that turnover percentage gap that they have and then getting some easy runouts, easy looks from three as a result. I don't know if he can get Baylor to play up to its ceiling in this game. If he can, I think Baylor wins and covers. If he can't, well, then maybe Arkansas does what they do and you know comes back in the second half and hangs around. Like I said, I think Baylor minus four first half is, is probably the best play of anything here. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to see um, how the refs call this game because Baylor is really aggressive on defense, and they really let them play in that game against Villanova. They were calling fouls on almost nothing. Uh, If they let Baylor be that aggressive on defense, they can force a lot of turnovers, and they did so against Villanova, uh, really, really being extremely physical. Arkansas, uh, a good free throw shooting team. So if Baylor is getting called for a lot of fouls, that gives Arkansas a chance. So I think if you're watching this game early, that's something to pay real close attention to is how this game's being called. Because certainly, you know, from one crew to the next, it can be pretty different. Yeah, I think live betting is not a bad idea here. I mean, I think a lot of people probably that have been paying attention feel more comfortable live betting Arkansas games anyway because of that second half that they've been able to put together. So, yeah, maybe that's a good angle. Uh, for these games here tonight. So as we project out the final four lines here, let's take a look at these. Let's assume that the chalk holds up here and we get Baylor versus Houston. What is, you know, your look ahead number for that? And what do you kind of start thinking about that matchup? So I think Baylor has to be favored by a little bit more than what some of the other um, metric sites say. Uh, I think Baylor minus two with a total of 139 and a half or so, uh, where I think that line would be Baylor has to be favored. They've been so consistently good and they play in a better conference than does Houston throughout the course of the season. So uh, I have Baylor as a, a minus two favorite, a total of 139 and a half. And I think that would probably get bet down some if, if that's where the total opened based on how low scoring the games have been. 
Uh, Baylor has to be favored. Obviously, this somewhat depends on how these games are played. You know, if Houston absolutely blows out Oregon State and Baylor just squeaks by, that could adjust the numbers a little bit. Or if the opposite happens, Baylor could be a bigger favorite. Yeah, and I think, you know, with your total projection as well, with all these games being at Lucas Oil, you know, we'll see what scoring looks like here in the Elite Eight and, you know, obviously what kind of impact that could have on the final four lines. Let's say Baylor holds up as a favorite, but Oregon State keeps this run going here and the Beavers wind up in the final four. How big of a favorite is Baylor for you there? And what does that total look like? I think Baylor's favored by something like 11 or 11 and a half points in a game like that. They have to be a big favorite. You know, Oregon State, uh, the odds makers have been reluctant to give Oregon State a ton of credit based on their last game. And I think that makes sense based on how they've been winning. Uh, I think that if they're favored Baylor by 11 or 11 and a half, the betting public would bet Oregon State in that game. So I think you would want to wait, let it get bet down some if you like Baylor. If you like Oregon State, you'd want to bet it early. I think that total would be somewhere in the range of 141, 140 and a half. Uh, I think all the metric sites will have it higher than that. But Oregon State's been really slowing down the tempo, playing that zone defense. Uh, I would lean to the under in a game like that, too. Baylor has shown that they're willing to play slow at times, and Baylor's defense is so good. If we get a total like that in Oregon State and Baylor game, I think my strongest lean would be under. So just to recap there, assuming Baylor beats Arkansas here tonight, Baylor minus two or so against Houston, 139.5 for that total, minus 11.5 against Oregon State, 140.5 or so on the total for that one, according to Kyle. Let's see Arkansas pulls the upset here in the South region, and they advance to the Final Four, and Arkansas takes on Houston. What does that number look like for you? So Arkansas and Houston would be an interesting matchup because Houston doesn't really see the the pressure defense that Arkansas plays as much as uh, some of the other types of defenses. You know, the, the AAC is kind of an interesting league in that most people can't shoot there. They don't really play any kind of full court press defense. It's kind of a unique league. I think, um, you know, Arkansas and Houston would be a tough line to make. Um, Houston probably favored by four or four and a half in a game like that. A total somewhere around 140 in that game. I don't think I'd want to bet that game. I don't know, Adam, if you'd have any, any lean going into that game. I don't think Houston and Arkansas is a game that I would have a strong opinion on. Houston first half. I guess that would, okay. yeah. that would kind, yeah. of, kind of be the default starting point right. there. But, yeah, you know, that would be an interesting one, too, especially because, you know, again, if Arkansas beats a team like Baylor here, you know, I mean, Houston's a better defensive team, but Houston also – you know, attacks that offensive glass. They're a very physical team down low. You know, Arkansas would have just played a team that's that has some level of similarities. They're obviously not exactly the same, but at least there are some level of similarities there. So that would definitely be a, a very interesting game. And let's see, we get two upsets tonight on Monday night, and we get Arkansas and Oregon State. What does that number look like for you? Well, I'd be pretty surprised if this happens, and I think you would as well. But I think Arkansas minus six. Uh, 142, 141 and a half, somewhere in that range for the total. I would lean under in that game in Oregon State in the first half, uh, catching the points against Arkansas. But uh, I think Oregon State unders would be my lean uh, because I think that they can try to um, slow the pace down, ugly it up a little bit uh, with that defense. Arkansas has not shown to be able to shoot the ball over a zone. So I think I'd be worried about laying the points with Arkansas against Oregon State. You know, I just talked about how Oregon State's going to have one of these really bad games. I don't know if I really want to lay it with Arkansas against uh, Oregon State because 
Arkansas has not been winning by margin, even against the, the teams that weren't very good. And they're not a good shooting team. So I don't know that that's a great matchup there for them. Uh, you know, if, if it's Baylor and Oregon State, I think Baylor could blow out Oregon State. If it's Arkansas and Oregon State, I don't, I don't like the chances for a blowout quite as much. All right, so you said Houston minus four and a half or so against Arkansas, and then in that 140 range, and then Arkansas minus six, six and a half against Oregon State? Yeah. All right. So let's move over to the left side of the bracket here. The Elite Eight games coming up on Tuesday night. We start with the first of those two tip-offs as well. USC and Gonzaga. Gonzaga laying nine. Total 153 and a half, 154 in that range. So uh, the biggest total on the board for the Elite Eight with this Gonzaga offense that has just been virtually unstoppable this season. Yeah, and I want to say here, you know, we talked about how the Pac-12 has been very fortunate to get to this point, but I think that USC is a team with the highest upside in the Pac-12, and it's not really even very close. USC has a lot of talent on that team. The Mobley Twins, excellent. You know, I think that um, USC has really, really high upside. Now, I'm surprised they've shot the ball as well as they have. You know, obviously, they, they beat my under last night against Oregon. That's two games in a row, USC. Um, Adam, I think we could say that, you know, we talked about how if you play your best game, you know, somebody's going to have a, a best game and a worst game at every time. I think USC has played their best game two games in a row now because they beat Kansas that badly. Then they played that well against Oregon. That's their two best performances of the season. At least has to be very close to their best if it wasn't. Um, USC is playing extremely well. And I have to say, I think they're one of the best six seeds I've, I've ever seen in the NCAA tournament. Really high upside team. Not many teams left in this NCAA tournament are a more tricky matchup for Gonzaga than USC. I mean, I, I don't think... Um, Gonzaga is clearly a very deserving favorite in a game like this, but I think Gonzaga matches up really well against a lot of the teams that are left and USC is at least a tricky matchup for them. The battle in the paint is going to be extremely important. This game USC is outscoring teams by 11.0 points per game in the paint, which is tremendous. It's 98th percentile in the country. Gonzaga is first in the nation and outscoring opponents in the paint 19.1 points per game better than their opponents. To be fair, though, they haven't been facing the Mobleys and they have been playing a pretty easy schedule in their conference. So I think it's going to be a lot harder for them to outscore USC in the paint than it has been for most of the teams they've played against. In the NCAA tournament in the past, Gonzaga struggled with teams who press. The question is, does USC want to press here? I think Gonzaga is better against a press now with Suggs. Uh, they're a great transition offense. USC went zone a lot against Oregon. Gonzaga is in the 99th percentile in zone offense this year. I don't think the zone defense from USC is a good idea here. So we'll see if they play man-to-man or zone. Gonzaga really can shoot the basketball really well. And I think it's really interesting, Adam, because we have strength on strength here. I believe I read this that Ken Palm said Gonzaga was first all-time and his numbers uh, on two-point offense, and USC is first all-time in two-point defense. So we have uh, two teams that have been tremendous at strength on strength there with Gonzaga inside uh, inside you know the paint and two-point range, and uh, USC a two-point defense, and most of that is inside the paint. So uh, we'll see who wins that battle inside five feet. And I think that's really going to be the key to this game. It's going to be one on the interior. Interior, You've got uh, Timmy versus the Mobleys. And uh, can USC keep shooting it well from long range? If they shoot it so well from three, they can win a game like this. There is enough 
uh, from USC defensively that if they shoot it really well from three, they can win a game like this. I have to lean under Adam when you get 154, 153 and a half in a game played at Lucas Oil Stadium. We've seen the shooting percentages and then you get in a big football dome. I don't love betting an under with Gonzaga, but at that high of a number, that's certainly my lean. I think I lean USC plus the points in a game like this because I really respect Enfeld. He's 10 and 10 and 0 against the spread in the NCAA tournament now. Mark Few has actually not been great against the number uh, with Gonzaga in the NCAA tournament. So nine points, quite a bit. I lean USC in the under in this one. Yeah, I, this is a tricky handicap. I agree with everything yeah. you said that, that USC, I mean, if anybody matches up well with Gonzaga, I think you could make a case that USC does. And, and certainly Andy Enfeld, we, you know, you just mentioned it, 10-0 and 0 here against the number in the tournament. He's been a very, very strong head coach. I'm sure he'll have a very good game plan put together for this one. A lot of questions here. You know, for one, Gonzaga, right? They play at a much, much, much faster tempo. Does USC try to slow this game down? I think it's really their only shot, right? But Gonzaga has scored under 80 points twice this season. They've scored 90-plus in 15 games. I know that USC is a much better defense than what they typically face, but if I'm Enfeld, I sit there and I ask myself, I try to weigh the risk-reward of do we sell out and try to stop this team from scoring or do we try to score right with them and hope that the fact that we are shooting so well gives us a chance to win this game. I don't know what they do. I, that's the hard part here to kind of figure out is what does Enfeld try to do in this game? There have not been many teams that have successfully slowed Gonzaga down. I Will USC be the one to do it? I guess it's a possibility, but I, I don't know that that happens. So I, I think Enfeld has a really tough thing to figure out here. Whereas Gonzaga and Mark few, they're just going to keep doing what they do and what's gotten them to 29 and 0, gotten them to this point and, you know, ride with that. So I think USC is a really great unknown here in this game where they do match up well. They do have the big guys to alter shots down low and kind of make things uncomfortable for this Gonzaga offense. But we also know Gonzaga's got, what, six, seven guys that can score for them. Does USC get the same thing from their roster? I don't know. I do lean USC here in this one. I think if anybody, as you said, is capable of matching up with the Bulldogs that's left in this field, USC is is probably one of the better teams at doing it. But again, I just, I don't know what style of play the Trojans are going to want to play here and if they have success with doing it. Yeah. And I want to correct that. The Mobleys are not twins. They're just brothers. So uh, the Mobley brothers for USC um, I think, Adam, it would make more sense for USC to try to slow this game down. I, I don't see why they would want to play a 76 or 78 possession game against Gonzaga. Gonzaga is so much more efficient than them on offense. You know, I don't think USC can just think that they want to win a 95 to 90 type game here. So um, it would surprise me a bit if USC just decides to just absolutely push the pace as fast as they can. At the same time, like you said, nobody's been terribly successful in slowing down Gonzaga. A lot of teams have gotten behind and had to kind of abandon that theory because when you're 15 or 20 points behind, it's hard to keep stalling. So can USC keep this one close to be able to do that? Uh, I think USC's uh, defense could do a pretty good job on Gonzaga, at least relative to other teams. But I think Gonzaga is still going to score plenty of points. USC is the second tallest team in the country. And uh, Gonzaga, 
plenty of height as, height as well. But, you know, to me, Timmy will have a harder time down low than he usually has. I think Suggs is a an extremely good player who can dominate the game even without scoring. Uh, so I don't know if UFC, USC can stop Suggs consistently in this game. Kispert's also a really good outside shooter, 46.2% from three, uh, 84 from 182. That's tremendous. Uh, real weapon for them. Gonzaga likely wins this game, but nine points is quite a bit against a team with the upside of USC. So I'll lean USC in this game. Every win except one for Gonzaga this year by double digits. Wow. So we'll see if USC is able to compete with them, kind of slow them down, kind of have some success on offense of their own. Lastly here, UCLA and Michigan, the late game on Tuesday night, Michigan laying seven total one thirty-six and a half and a half here. And uh, before we get to this game specifically, you know, you and I kind of talked about trying to attack Michigan here, going after some of their weaknesses, the livers injury being one of them. Also what appeared to be a tough draw against an LSU team that, was capable of outscoring Michigan and gave a good run at it, but you know just didn't get enough stops on defense. And then Florida State, we thought to be a very difficult matchup for Michigan, and it uh, it, it turned out that it wasn't. You know, um, I'm glad you said that because I do need to blow off a little bit of steam about Florida State there. Florida State was just an abomination of performance. That was just awful. I mean, um, I know that they had some guys in foul trouble. I know they got a little bit banged up during the game, but – that performance was absolutely terrible. Uh, you know, I think Leonard Hamilton has had some decent runs in the NCAA tournament, but the reason that his teams never have made that really deep run, it seems like, you know, to me, he's not a good X's and O's coach. He gets good talent, has uh, length every year and can be a matchup problem, but they're too inconsistent. And, you know, that's on me for trusting Florida state there against Michigan in that game. To be honest too, Adam, you know, I've seen some people say, Michigan looked really great in that game. I don't think Michigan looked great in that game. I think Florida State sucked. I mean, they were terrible in that game. Uh, that game said a lot more about Florida State than it said about Michigan. Michigan is clearly a good team. They're a well-coached team. Uh, Howard deserves a ton of credit. He has some great assistant coaches. At the same time, you know, I don't want to make too much of that game because Florida State just, you know, terrible performance. And, you know, as I said to Adam before, Florida State, is really uh, doesn't make the best decisions as a team. You know, they turn the ball over, they make some ridiculous, stupid fouls. Uh, just not a team that you can trust because, you know, to be able to turn the ball over as many times as they did against a Michigan defense that wasn't even really pressuring them, Michigan never forces turnovers. Florida State was just turning it over on their own. Florida State also was really content to just uh, shoot three pointers in that one, not attack Hunter Dickinson. I don't know why you would do that. You know, why would you just stand back and try to get into three-point contests with Michigan? They really never adjusted. Um, defensively, they let Michigan get to the hoop. Michigan wasn't really shooting that well either. In the second half, Michigan says, screw it. We're just going to get to the basket every single time. And they did. I mean, it worked every single time. I don't know how you have a team that has the kind of height that Florida State does, and you let the other team get a layup every time. It's hard to believe. Uh, you know, defensive rebounding, also an issue for Florida State. It should never be an issue when you're that tall. To me, Florida State is a team that is capable of pulling an upset. But for future references, I'm not going to trust them to win multiple games in a row because I don't think Leonard Hamilton's a great X's and O's coach and just too many really bad turnovers and 
and um, you know, not great decision making. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, like I told you, I, I think dating back to, I think it was 2009 when I looked Florida state's been, you know, uh, in the top 200 and turnover percentage just twice. So they turned the ball over a ton. I mean, they turn it over a lot for a team that, as you said, is very talented, doesn't seem to maximize its height as well as it should. And, and like you said, I don't know how a team that's that good on the glass, that's that tall on the offensive end, doesn't defensive rebound. I That's a, that's an X's and O's problem. That's a court IQ problem, a basketball IQ problem. There's They're not a smart basketball team. And talent can only take you so far when you get this deep in the tournament and you're playing teams that are as talented or more talented than you are. And that's why Florida State is this team of hopes and dreams, and they wind up killing everybody's hopes and dreams you know, in the Sweet 16 or at some point in the NCAA tournament because they're, they're not detail-oriented. They, they just try to get by on their talent. And in the ACC, you can get by on talent alone, but in the NCAA tournament, you can't. And, and maybe that is something that, you and I both should have thought a lot more about the people that bet Florida state down to a one and a half point dog should have thought more about. And it is something that now I will absolutely file away in the back of my mind that this team just, they, they don't take good enough care of the basketball. They don't take care of the details and it hurts in the NCAA tournament and Michigan, even without livers, they've taken care of the details. You know, yeah, they don't force turnovers because it's just, not really their style offensively, but you know, there's a reason why they're here. There's a reason why they're a top five team in the country. And there's a reason why they're favored by seven over a UCLA team that uh, again, one of those PAC 12 upstarts that's playing really well right now. Yeah. And Michigan is a, a really smart basketball team. They, they play very well. Uh, they know their style. They continue to play that way. They won't let somebody force them into something else. Michigan is a very good team defensively they don't force turnovers but they sure contest shots uh they rank in the 97th percent percentile in contesting jump shots this year according to some of the sources i've looked at too ucla takes about as many uh, mid-range jumpers as anybody in the country adam i mean maybe you could look up the far twos for ucla i assume they're pretty good when it comes to uh, the far twos according to bart torvik because ucla mid-range wise has shot quite a few this year and according to synergy is in the top 1% in the country in mid-range jumpers. So UCLA has been excellent in the mid-range. 42%. Michigan, 42%. So what 42%. is that, top 20 or so? Probably, I would think so, yeah. Yeah, that's that's got to be pretty good. Um, UCLA takes a lot of those jumpers, and Michigan's going to be t- contesting those jumpers much better than what they've usually seen. Um, I don't think either one of us are, are willing to just assume that the Pac-12 is just that much better than everybody else to where uh, all season they've been playing teams better than Michigan. Michigan's defense is very good. Uh, this line coming down to seven, uh, this was seven and a half coming down to seven, uh, 58% of the bets on UCLA, 71% of the money on UCLA. Let's see if they just keep pushing this number down because I will take Michigan if they keep pushing this number down. My lean is Michigan in this game. Lean the under as well. Uh, I think UCLA wants to play a really slow-paced game here. Michigan is capable of playing both ways. You know, can UCLA defend Dickinson here? Because I think Michigan's going to give the ball to him a lot here. UCLA doesn't have a ton of depth in the front court. They have some good players in the front court. If Michigan can get them in foul trouble, uh, that could help them quite a bit here. Michigan laying the points is certainly my strong lean in this game. Uh, Under, like I said, with this game being at Lucas Oil Stadium, this game's right at my number. Um, I'm always going to lean to the under when it's in a, in a dome like this. So 
I lean under, I lean Michigan. I think Michigan is a, a consistent team. UCLA is certainly not as good as they've looked. You know, uh, Alabama, hard to believe they played so bad in overtime after coming back and putting that one into overtime. UCLA, I think you have to give them a lot of credit. And Mick Cronin's done a good job with this team. I still think you, uh, UCLA's upside, not near as high as Michigan's upside. Michigan's been consistent enough that I do trust them here to lay the points. Uh, UCLA 40th in farther two percentage or farther two shooting percentage nationally, but seventh of the teams in the big six conferences. So a lot of teams up there from the big sky, the Patriot, the horizon, stuff like that, where those teams just shot really well in the mid range, but UCLA doing it against, you know, much stronger competition. You know, the thing about this game to me is, is looking at, you know, what UCLA has done here and also looking at how UCLA look, Again, I don't want to sound like a hater of the Pac-12, but they had a really friendly draw, and then Alabama just inexplicably barfed all over itself at the free throw line. I mean, they, they should have won that game in overtime or in regulation, and then they don't show up in overtime. You know, they're just for whatever reason, so many things that so many random occurrences that have happened that have you know impacted Pac-12 teams and helped them kind of to the points where they are. And look, maybe they're just performing well. Maybe you know, I, I don't know, but. UCLA was not great defensively against Michigan State, survived in that game in overtime, and of course, you know, struggled very early on in that game, lost four in a row to finish the regular season and then in the Pac-12 tournament. Then they beat, you know, BYU, who just had, BYU had one of their worst performances of the season at a very bad time. Abilene Christian was just gassed after beating Texas. And then, as I mentioned, Alabama just couldn't make a free throw. So, I don't, how good is UCLA? I mean, how good is this team where, you know, we talk about the metrics. A lot of teams stand out in, in some way, shape, or form in some kind of area. UCLA shoots the three well, and they take care of the basketball, and that's really it. I mean, they're a decent rebounding team, I guess. But th- there's nothing here that jumps off the page suggesting that, A, they should be in the Elite Eight, and, B, they should be competitive in a game against Michigan. So, I, I mean, you know, may- maybe this is – me sort of propping Michigan up in my mind because they did what they did to Florida state. And I liked Florida state, but I I think Michigan should be able to do whatever they want in this game and have success with it. And I don't know if I can say the same for UCLA. Well, and we also talked about at the beginning of the NCAA tournament that fading those trendy public underdogs has done well in the NCAA tournament. I'm almost sure this is going to be one of those trendy underdogs. People are not going to bet Michigan in this game. I think there's a good chance this one gets down to six and a half at some point. Uh, If it does, I I certainly consider taking Michigan at that number. We'll see how low they want to push this one, but the public is going to want to bet UCLA as an underdog in this game. People still doubting Michigan. Like I said, I don't know that Michigan was that great in the last game. It was more about Florida State, but Michigan was down to LSU, had a good performance in the second half to come back and win that game. Michigan's been consistently good all year. UCLA, like you said, at an easier path here and then beat Bama. Bama 11 for 25 from the free throw line in that game. Uh, that was a game that Bama should have won. UCLA is a, a better team than what they look like at the end of the year when they lost four straight games, but they're not this good. Michigan's been very good all season. I give Michigan the coaching advantage in this one as well. So uh, Michigan and the under, my two leans here. And again, you know, you got to think about this with a line that's in this range. Michigan – they are missing Livers, who's an 87% free throw shooter on 54 attempts, but they are 25th in the nation, 77.4% at the free throw line, uh, according to Torvik. So, you know, Michigan, if they have to salt this game away at the line, 
does seem like they have the upside and the chance to do that. So like we did on the right side of the bracket, we'll do on the left side of the bracket, and this will be what we finish up with here. Let's say both number one seeds advance. Let's say the favorites hold up, and certainly that looks like it will be the case. What does this line look like, Gonzaga and Michigan, in a massive Final Four game? I think Gonzaga by six and a half is a good line for that game. The total is a tough total for me to make because Michigan unlikely to want to just push the tempo like crazy against a team like Gonzaga. I think the total in that game probably 154 and a half or 154, uh, somewhere in the range of what this one opened uh, against USC. Having said that, I would want to bet the under uh, before I'd bet the over in a game like that. I think six and a half is a fair number in that game. It depends on how they look in these two games, certainly. Michigan has not been real highly rated in the market, and bettors have not wanted to bet Michigan. So I don't think the books want to set too low of a number and just let everybody bet Gonzaga here. All right, so if we get Gonzaga and UCLA, if the Bruins pull that upset over Michigan and keep this run going, what does a Gonzaga-UCLA line look like? Boy, it has to be big. Uh, Gonzaga by 11.5 or 12, somewhere in that range. The total... Uh, 153, 153 and a half, somewhere in that range. I would lean toward laying the points with Gonzaga in a game like that. I think that one could get ugly. I don't think UCLA has the firepower to keep up with uh, Gonzaga. It'd be hard for UCLA to slow that tempo down the whole game. Uh, I would certainly lean laying the points if that matchup comes to fruition. So Gonzaga, about a six and a half point favorite over Michigan for you. 153, 153 and a half or so on the total. And then a uh, 12 point or so favorite over UCLA total, kind of in a similar range there. Let's say, you know, I mean, Gonzaga's had chances before. They've squandered them. They've struggled a little bit in this Elite Eight Final Four National Championship part of the bracket. Let's say the Trojans do pull that upset over the Zags on Tuesday night. What does USC and Michigan look like to you? Adam, I think this is the toughest one to set a number on because if USC upsets Gonzaga, they have to get a lot of credit, right? Um, and everybody's going to want to bet them in the next game if they do win that game. USC, Michigan, I think uh, most of the metric sites would probably have that at three or two and a half for Michigan. I think Michigan would, could be maybe a one point favorite in that game. And if they make it bigger than that, I think everybody's going to bet USC. So I'll say minus one and a total of 137, something like that. All right, so then let's say we get a Pac-12 matchup here in the Final Four, and it's highly unlikely, but judging by what the Pac-12 has done here (laughs) so far, I guess we shouldn't be all that surprised if we do get USC and UCLA uh, for a chance to go to the national championship. So obviously they've played each other a couple times there, so uh, they're used to each other, and then that would be quite the game. I mean, I... I hope we don't see it, and that's not hating the Pac-12. It's wanting to see the the very best teams play against each other. But I think in that game, USC has to be a decent-sized favorite. I'll say minus five, total uh, 134.5, 134, somewhere in that range. The two times that they played in the regular season, um, USC won by 18 and then won by one point. And according to shot quality, they should have won those two games uh, the 18-point game, they should have only won by four. And then the other game that they won by one, they should have won by seven. So USC, deserving of winning both of those games, they both should have been pretty close. And also, both of those games were low scoring. If this game comes to fruition, my favorite bet is the under. All right, so USC-Michigan could be kind of a smaller line than people think they're possibly. Maybe Michigan in that one, one-and-a-half range, then USC about a five-point favorite. 
over UCLA, maybe five and a half. We'll see. Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com. And uh, what's going on over at the website right now, man? So you can check out everything at huntersportspicks.com, premium packages, putting up my special here for the baseball season later today as well. So you can check out my baseball season pass. I have done well in Major League Baseball in the past, and I know we'll get to talk about it some next week here on the show. So I'm looking forward to that. And I know I always love talking baseball with Adam because he knows so much about baseball. Um, If you want the rest of the season's college hoops plays, that's up on the site as well. Free plays, they've done really well. The free plays have done a lot better than the premium plays. I know some of the premium people get a little bit frustrated about that, but um, free plays, I'm able to give out more, such as first half plays, team totals, things like that, uh, that I can't do on some of the sites with the premium plays. Uh, sign up for the free picks newsletter over there at huntersportspicks.com, and also follow me at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. Always great to chat here with Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. Kyle, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll run it back one more time next week. Thanks, man. Take care. There you go. There's Kyle Hunter. Once again, huntersportspicks.com, the website at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. Real quickly here, Brian Blessing on Tuesday, Kiev O'Neill Wednesday, Brad Powers Thursday, the betters box on Friday. I would love to do one for opening day, but you know, college basketball and all that still wrapping up here. So we got one more full week of regular shows next Monday. Kyle and I will talk a little bit of baseball along with the national championship game. Brian blessing. And I will talk masters on Tuesday, and then I'll do the betters box on Thursday going forward. Betters box Monday, Thursday, and then blessing on Tuesdays because we talk golf, NASCAR, and all those other different types of things. So this is the last full week here of ATS radio, but lots of content coming your way throughout the spring and summer one-off shows for the NFL draft and college football, NFL win totals, all that kind of thing. So we'll have plenty of content for you, but that will be the schedule that we'll have uh, after this last full week here of podcasts. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.